Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. You want me to say the Wolfman quote, don't you? But I'm not going to, because it's childish and puerile. I do, however, have to question a five-year-old girl's knowledge of the movie Rambo. Hmm. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 96, The Monster Squad. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And welcome one, welcome all, whether you're a new listener, a returning listener or a classic universal monster, a very warm welcome to you all. I hope you're all keeping safe and well and staying away from any limbo creating vortexes at least until this episode is over uh, and I speak those special German words. Oh, I forgot that requires a virgin damn it anyway as i said a very warm welcome to you all uh welcome to episode 96 of this podcast we are so close to episode 100 it's crazy and obviously patrons know what that 100th episode is going to be and there was a lot of excitement actually when i announced what it was but there's all sorts going on at the moment. I am super, super busy all the time. There's obviously preparations for the 100th episode. I'm currently running through on social media all the episodes that I've released so far. So I'm basically releasing little reminders, sort of two a day, of every single episode that's ever been released under the hashtag Verbal Diorama 100. So if you search out hashtag Verbal Diorama 100, you'll see every single episode. You'll see links to those episodes. And the other thing that I'm trying to get done, I'm trying to get sorted a brand new sister podcast, which is going to be focused on animation called Rotoscope Rama. And I'm also trying to get finished a brand new episode that's exclusive to patrons only. And really, before I kind of go into the Monster Squad, I just want to say thank you for the really lovely comments on Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice was an incredible amount of fun to put together. I think it's definitely one of those movies that on the surface you just kind of see it's like a horror comedy, but it's so much more underneath. Um, and definitely one of Tim Burton's most special movies. But as always, I digress. Because if there's something strange in your neighbourhood, who are you going to call? 
The Monster Squad, of course. You thought I was going to say The Goonies, didn't you? Anyway, here's the trailer for The Monster Squad. You know who to call when you have ghosts. But who do you call when you have monsters? We're the Monster Squad. What's a squad? It's like Miami Vice, I think. They're young and inexperienced. Naughty virgins. They're a bit disorganized. Monsters are not real. We don't know that, sir. 2,000-year-old dead guys do not get up and walk away by themselves. But when strange things start happening in town... There's a monster in my closet. Ooh, look at that big, scary monster! What's happening? Do I kill a werewolf? Silver bullet? They're the only ones ready to do battle. Something's out there that's killing people. And if it's monsters, nobody's gonna do a thing about it but us. Soon the creatures of the night show. Little girl. Real monsters? Us? Midnight in the world, remember? Squad and stage, you know, two mass bombs. Yeah, 235, back up. Hurry up! Yeah. squad. The book is right. Don't you see it's all true? By midnight, you guys. they won't seem so young anymore. Monster Squad. Wolfman's gone. One hundred years ago, Dr. Abraham Van Helsing and his men stormed Dracula's castle to find a magical amulet, which, when German words are spoken by a virgin, will send Dracula and his monsters into an eternal limbo. But Van Helsing doesn't succeed and ends up being sucked into the vortex himself. In the present day, Dracula travels to the United States and arrives in a small town along with the remains of Frankenstein's monster, assembling a team of a mummy, the wolfman and the gillman. Young Monster Squad leader Sean gets given a copy of Van Helsing's diary by his mother, but laments that it's written in German. He, along with his friends, ask their German neighbour to read it, and they discover that tomorrow evening is the next centenary of the monsters, and they need to recover the amulet and a virgin to get rid of Dracula and the monsters for good. We'll quickly go through the cast of this movie. We have Andre Gower as Sean Crenshaw, Robbie Keeger as Patrick Rhodes, Stephen Macht as Detective Del Crenshaw, Duncan Reger as Count Dracula, Tom Noonan as Frankenstein's monster, Brent Shalom as Horace, Ryan Lambert as Rudy Holleran, Ashley Bank as Phoebe Crenshaw, Michael Faustino as Eugene, Jonathan Grease as Desperate Man, aka the Wolfman before he transforms, Mary Ellen Trainer as Emily Crenshaw, Leonardo Cimino as Scary German Guy, he doesn't actually get given a name, he's just called Scary German Guy, Carl Tibolt as the Wolfman, Tom Woodruff Jr. as Gilman, Michael Reed McKay as the Mummy, and Jack Willem as Abraham Van Helsing. The Monster Squad was written by Shane Black and Fred Decker and it was directed by Fred Decker. So we're going to go all the way back to the classic Universal Monster movies of the 1930s and 40s 
And they started with Carl Lemael Jr., son of Universal Pictures founder Carl Lemael. He started a string of horror films, starting with February 1931's Dracula, starring Bela Lugosi, followed by November 1931's Frankenstein, starring Boris Karloff. Karloff returned to play the mummy in 1932, and Claude Rains played the Invisible Man in 1933. This was a remarkable run of success for Universal and for Carl Lemayel Jr. It established what could be deemed the first cinematic universe, starring monsters that weren't just mindless killers, but had depth and pathos, tapping into themes of insanity and compulsion. The Universal Monsters put Universal into profit and made Universal Studios synonymous with horror. The label family lost control of Universal in 1936, just after Bride of Frankenstein was released and the studio's interest in horror waned until 1939's Son of Frankenstein, which led a renaissance in Universal's monsters, introduced The Wolfman, starring Lon Chaney Jr. But otherwise, the revival became a mess of substandard sequels. The last new Universal monster was 1954's The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which contained a misunderstood gill man and was perfectly suited for the atomic age, something Guillermo del Toro would take inspiration from for his 2017 Oscar winner, The Shape of Water. Even as recently as the late 90s, Universal was still attempting to reintroduce the classic Universal horror movies as a connected series, with a home video line in 1995 called the Universal Studios Monsters Classic Collection. Let's just ignore Universal's attempt to create the dark universe in the late 2010s, starting with Alex Kurtzman's 2017 version of The Mummy, because we all know what the superior mummy movie is. The answer is the 1999 Brendan Fraser movie. Anyway, we'll come back to Universal's monster movies shortly because these were characters pretty much everyone in the world knew and feared to a degree as well. These were movies that really scared people. Enter the young Fred Decker. He had applied for film school at USC and UCLA and had been rejected for the film studies programme. He did, however, get accepted at USC to complete his bachelor's degree in English. His screenwriting abilities would lead him to be hired to write a first draft for Godzilla, King of the Monsters in 3D in 1983, which would be another movie Hollywood never made. He'd go on to write a Twilight Zone-inspired script called House, which was made in 1986, to which he received a story credit. That movie was nominated for the International Fantasy Film Award at Fantasporto Film Festival and earned a Critics Award at the Aviorax Fantastic Film Festival. This led to Decker writing his directorial debut, Night of the Creeps, an homage to B-movies of the 50s and 60s. Fred Decker used to love monster movies and science fiction growing up, admitting to being one of those weird outcast kids, a bit like the Monster Squad themselves. While making Night of the Creeps, which also contains a little Easter egg reference to the Monster Squad as well, Fred Decker enlisted the help of his college buddy, Shane Black, to write the script for the Monster Squad as an homage to those classic Universal monster movies. This is the third Shane Black movie that I'm featuring on Verbal Diorama. I've also covered The Nice Guys and The Long Kiss Goodnight. Shane Black had hit big with his screenplay for Lethal Weapon and was a guy at that point who could seemingly do it all. He could write, he could act, he'd go on to direct. So obviously he wrote Lethal Weapon, he had a small role in the movie Predator and he also co-wrote The Monster Squad. All of those movies would come out in 1987. And Black and Decker, as I'm going to call them affectionately from now on, they used Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein as the template for the perfect horror comedy. 
and they mixed Hal Roach's series Argan to do essentially the Little Rascals versus Universal Monsters. They wrote the story together. Shane Black took charge of writing the script while Fred Decker was in post-production on Night of the Creeps. There are plentiful horror homages in the script, including to the master of horror himself, Stephen King. Not only does Sean wear a Stephen King Rules t-shirt, but also the plot of the Monster Squad is similar to that of It, where you have a group of outcast kids who create their own gang to defeat an evil being. It's kind of the same, it's kind of not, but it kind of is. There's also obviously many, many similarities to The Goonies as well. Early drafts included a complicated intro scene devised by Shane Black, where Van Helsing storms Dracula's castle on a zeppelin with machine guns, with 40 vampire brides riding horses to meet a team of vampire hunters head on, and Fred Decker put an end to that overblown opener because it simply would have been too expensive to film. When the script was finished, the smart money was on Universal picking up the script, loving this reimagining of their classic monsters and everyone living happily ever after. But when the script was sent to Universal, despite Fred Decker's dreams of this classic black and white Universal globe to open the movie, it was not meant to be. Because Universal had no interest whatsoever. They didn't want to make monster movies. They flat out refused. And with no Universal meant no permission to use their classic monster designs. The Monster Squad was picked up instead by TriStar. And so this meant the production had to be careful to not infringe on the original Universal monster designs, so it's basically to not cause a copyright dispute. This is why Dracula, despite being a public domain character, doesn't have the standard Universal Dracula widow's peak. Frankenstein's monster's bolts moved from his neck to his temples. Gilman is called Gilman, but has a completely different design to the creature from the Black Lagoon. And obviously the Wolfman, kind of very difficult to make him not look like a wolf or a man, but he was actually modelled on none other than the legendary Stan Winston. Stan Winston is no stranger to this podcast. He's responsible for the amazing creature work in Jurassic Park, as well as assisting uncredited on The Thing. It was the Stan Winston studio responsible for the excellent practical creature effects in The Monster Squad. And if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you will know how much Verbal Diorama preaches and praises practical effects. There is nothing that practical effects can't achieve. And it always looks so incredible. And The Monster Squad is no different. I love the effects in The Monster Squad. I think they look so great. After returning from working on Aliens, Stan Winston's studio started work on the creature effects for The Monster Squad. And the first task was to redesign the classic creatures enough to not breach copyright, but not enough to make them indistinguishable as those creatures. Stan Winston himself drew the sketches for each of the concept designs, careful to not infringe on Universal's copyrighted items. Animatronic and special effects character creator Shane Mahan, who would go on to win an Academy Award for his work on Iron Man, worked on creating the head for the mummy, the ad for which had a very specific requirement for the performer in the suit. So the casting advertisement in Variety magazine was pointed out to Michael Reed McKay by a friend of his. And they were basically trying to find an extremely thin actor on the verge of anorexia. That is a direct quote. And so he'd already been quite a skinny guy. He basically got the role due to his tiny frame because mummies are literally skin and bone, or at the very least wrap and bone. I don't think mummies actually have skin. But (laughs) I don't think you'd find a casting call nowadays asking for anyone on the verge of anorexia. But this was obviously the mid-80s, so 
it was a slightly different time. John Rosengrant led the Wolfman build, as I said, was purposely designed to look like Stan Winston. Tom Woodruff Jr. was the supervisor in charge of Frankenstein's monster from Stan Winston's designs and started creating prosthetic makeup for Frankenstein's monster. In addition to creating Frankenstein's monster, Woodruff Jr. debuts as a suit performer in this movie as the Gill Man. Because the role hadn't been cast at the time and Woodruff Jr. pitched himself to Stan Winston, who eventually allowed him to be cast as the Gill Man. It wasn't an easy part for him though. He basically had very small circles in the Gill Man's head to see out of, so he had really poor vision. Just imagine having something on your head and having tiny little dots for your eyes to see out of. So he basically couldn't see anything. He would actually accidentally hit a stuntman in the face due to that really poor vision. Tom Woodruff Jr. would go on to found FX studio Amalgamated Dynamics. They worked on Tremors, that's episode 41 of this podcast, um, and they went on to win an Academy Award for Best Special Effects for Death Becomes Her, that's episode 59 of this podcast. I am such a fan of Amalgamated Dynamics. They also worked on The Thing, the 2011 version, but there's a whole bit in The Thing episode dedicated to Amalgamated Dynamics because a lot of their work actually didn't get used in that movie and it's still a complete travesty. But anyway, basically what I'm saying is the Monster Squad may just be to many uh, as a rip-off of the Goonies. And it's really not, by the way, despite the Mary Ellen trailer leak because she plays the mum in both of the movies. It's, to me, this is actually a lot better than the Goonies. And I realise that a lot of people are going to go, well, why are you saying that? That's a ridiculous statement. The Goonies is a fun movie, but I absolutely 100% prefer the Monster Squad to the Goonies. The, the Monster Squad is everything that I love about movies in, in one in one perfect little package, as far as I'm concerned. But the other thing that we need to remember about the Monster Squad is it also paved the way for the big creature and makeup special effect geniuses of today. They basically honed their craft on this movie. All of this kind of who's who of creature design makeup, they pretty much all started <laughs> on the Monster Squad. The other thing that the Monster Squad did was they pioneered a cable controller system that could be operated by fewer puppeteers. So originally, if you had a controller for a hand, you would need five people to operate that hand because you would need one person per finger. For the Monster Squad, they developed a controller that moved not only one hand completely, but two. So this meant going from 10 puppeteers for two hands to one puppeteer for two hands. And obviously there were many puppets on the Monster Squad. They had bats for the Dracula transformed into, the Wolfman had a complete transformation, the mummy obviously unravels. It really is one of those movies that I feel like you can watch again and again and you can get something new out of the special effects on this movie. When it came to Dracula, who was obviously leading the monsters, he would be the most notable character. So they needed an actor who could be convincingly menacing scary Dracula. This was not going to be a Gary Oldman sexy Dracula. This was going to be a proper, proper scary Dracula. So Liam Neeson actually had an audition for Dracula and he completely nailed it. He was almost offered the role and then Duncan Regger auditioned and blew producers away with a completely terrifying audition. So to placate Liam Neeson, they offered him a smaller role in the movie instead, which ended up being cut out of the finished film. But Duncan Regger is still many a millennial's first ever on-screen Dracula. He's definitely my ever first on-screen Dracula. He never broke character either. He always stayed in costume on set, uh, along with Tom Noonan, who played Frankenstein's monster. The only exception for Duncan Regger was 
with five-year-old Ashley Bank, uh, who played Phoebe, she actually never saw him with his fangs in or crimson contact lenses in because she was five years old. So when it came to the scene where he lifts her by his chin and hisses, this was her first time seeing him in his full Dracula face and she instinctively screamed. This is the scream that they used in the movie, the genuine 100% terrified cry of a five-year-old girl. It's worth adding, by the way, that both she and her parents knew that she would need to scream, she just didn't know when. So that kind of element of surprise that you see in this little girl is completely genuine. And I have to ask as well, why is it always a virgin in these movies? It's one of the things that really winds me up a little bit now, watching, especially these movies from the 80s, because it's always a virgin and it's always a female virgin. There seems to be this real fascination with female virgins and that female virgins are the only people in the world who can do something or be sacrificed for something or cure something. Because all of the members of the Monster Squad were virgins, but only Phoebe could read the words because she was the only girl. And it's, it's rubbish. It's genuinely utter rubbish. Because, you know, virginity is a social construct and it means actually nothing in the real world. Apart from that, <laughs> that's kind of the one little gripe I have about this movie. But to be honest, I have that gripe about any movie that kind of uses virginity as a way to move a plot forward. But I love The Monster Squad. I really genuinely love it. It's one of those that I watched a lot as a kid and I recently saw that it was on Amazon Prime Video here in the UK. And so I rewatched it and I was just like, I love this movie. This, this movie, it doesn't always hold up. Some of the language doesn't really hold up. But otherwise, the way that it looks or the way that it makes you feel really does hold up. It's just so much fun. Speaking of fun, let's move over to the obligatory Keanu reference. So this is a part of the podcast where I try and link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And I mean, I had to kind of go with the obvious on this one because Keanu has obviously starred in a movie with Dracula, because he played Jonathan Harker in Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. So technically, could we assume that Keanu knows Dracula and that all versions of Dracula are kind of all linked in like a Dracula verse or something like that? So if there is a Dracula verse, I'm literally making this up in my head and I'm speaking it. If there's a Dracula verse, then this version of Dracula knows Gary Oldman's version of Dracula. And so, therefore, he knows that Keanu Reeves was Jonathan Harker in that version of Dracula's Dracula. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> that's the obligatory Keanu reference for this episode. I mean, I do try and make them unique every time. I'm pretty certain I probably have used the Jonathan Harker, but I haven't used Dracula-verse. Definitely haven't used Dracula-verse. That is unique to this episode. So... <laughs> So I'm going to take it. I'm going to move quickly on. So we're going to talk about the score. So the score was by Bruce Broughton. He'd received an Oscar nomination for his music on Silverado. So the score invokes many of those old Universal Monster movies with kind of this extra dose of 80s synth. It is a very 80s soundtrack. Like the movie, the score is revered by fans. The movie also has a theme song. It's called Rock Until You Drop by Michael Sembella. It's very much an 80s montage song and it's perfect for that. It's actually an easy song to forget until you hear it again 
Uh, and then it's constantly in your mind forever. Michael Cimbello also wrote the song Maniac for the movie Flashdance, for which he received an Oscar and a Golden Globe nomination. He also had a song featured in Gremlins, which is episode 94. And here's a clue for you. It will be recommended as a companion episode for this one later on, because if there's going to be any movie that I've done so far that I think evokes a very similar feeling to the Monster Squad, it would be Gremlins. So I've kind of maybe mentioned that fans really love this movie. And that's really, really important because when it came to the marketing and the release of this movie, there were many, many problems. So the marketing material for the Monster Squad came out to promote it. And it was basically heavily influenced on Ghostbusters. And the tagline, and I'm not quoting this verbatim, so apologies if it's not correct, but it's some, it was something like, you know who to call when you have ghosts, but who do you call if you have monsters? And part of me wonders whether people thought that they'd been missold this movie, because this movie is non-comparable to Ghostbusters, really. Yeah, okay, they're both kind of horror comedies, but they don't feel the same. They're not the same kind of movie. And so... I don't know whether people saw this movie and, and kind of thought, well, this isn't anything like Ghostbusters. What are they talking about? But, so, I mean, that's just my kind of speculation, really. Because when the Monster Squad was released on the 14th of August, 1987, in the US, it would only make $2.8 million in its first week, which ranked it at 12 in the US box office. This was a box office week also containing movies like Stakeout, The Living Daylights, the Lost Boys, obviously a huge movie, actually, also about vampires and also containing young kids <laughs> fighting vampires. The Lost Boys came out a couple of weeks before The Monster Squad. Also out at the same time was Masters of the Universe, Robocop. All of those movies actually did better than The Monster Squad in its first week. And all of those movies had already been out for a little while, at least a week and before that. So The Monster Squad actually would only remain in US cinemas for two weeks before being pulled. And that's how little faith TriStar actually had in this picture. On an estimated $12 million budget, the US box office would only return $3.8 million over that time period. Despite its commercial failure though, The Monster Squad has only grown in people's estimations over the years. It's now considered a cult classic. A sold out 20th anniversary screening reunion was held at the Alamo Draft House in 2006 with director Fred Decker and cast members in attendance. In 2018, Andre Gower directed and co-produced the documentary Wolfman's Got Nards to explore the cultural impact of the Monster Squad over 30 years. And basically, fans still absolutely adore this movie, and quite rightly, because it's fantastic. So they should. But this is one of those movies that only really found its audience later, after its cinematic release. It went into cinemas, it came out two weeks later, and only after that did people actually pick up this movie and realise what a special little treasure it was. It's important to note that Fred Decker does remain proud of the movie despite its financial failure. He actually likens it to shooting a three-pointer from half court in 1987 and not knowing for 20 years whether it went into the basket, which is a basketball analogy, I'm led to believe. Clearly, this is a man who put his all into this movie and its failure really cut him deep. It's understandable he might feel a sense of betrayal at the audience who never showed up in 1987. I was too young to show up in 1987, but have since turned out in their droves to support the Monster Squad. The fan base for this movie is completely loyal and it's always growing as well. This was a movie that I did see as a kid. 
And like I say, I didn't know if it held up or not because I hadn't seen it for years. And it does actually hold up incredibly well, apart from a few of your typical 80s slur words that are used in the movie. That is unfortunate. It is a product of its time. But otherwise, everything in this movie holds up incredibly well. The creature effects are so good. And yeah, okay, you could argue that sometimes it looks like the bats that are just kind of flopping around at the ceiling, yeah, they probably are just held up by string. That is absolutely fine. The actual creature effects, the transformation effects, the makeup, the prosthetics, everything in this movie is just absolute top notch. And you have to give credit to Stan Winston Studio. They are just literally one of the best in in the whole cinematic world. Interestingly as well, now this movie has a very brisk runtime. This is an 82 minute movie and it's an 82 minute movie that really does feel quick. It's incredibly well paced in that regard. It really does kind of jump straight into the story. But 13 minutes was actually cut from the movie to give it that sub 90 minute runtime. It was only released once on VHS, which means that if you do have a VHS copy of The Monster Squad, it's actually quite rare nowadays. The Monster Squad has also been released on DVD. The special features of the DVD do contain things like documentaries and those 13 minutes of extra footage. There's also a couple of Blu-rays as well. I believe there's a Blu-ray that has special features. There's also a Blu-ray that has nothing. And as I said before, it's currently available on Amazon Prime Video here in the UK. So if you're listening to this and you live in the UK and you think to yourself, I've not seen The Monster Squad in a long time, please go and check it out on Amazon Prime Video because you will have the best 82 minutes that you will ever have today, I guarantee you. Obviously, there is no sequel to The Monster Squad. Clearly, it didn't do well enough to warrant a sequel, but there was talk of a reboot. That was by production company Platinum Dunes. Platinum Dunes was founded by Michael Bay and Brad Fuller. Yep, that Michael Bay. So they'd already rebooted quite a few classic horror movies. They'd done The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Amityville Horror, Friday the 13th, and A Nightmare on Elm Street took middling forms of success and they had their sights set on remaking the monster squad in 2010 but by 2014 platinum dunes confirmed that the remake was no longer happening much to the delight of fans of the original movie because the fans never wanted it to be remade speaking of fans of the movie i always like to find out what people think on social media and so we're going to start with the patrons of verbal diorama we're specifically going to start with Everyone knows him, everyone loves him, Andy from Geek Salad. So he says, Ah, the Monster Squad. When it came out, it was essentially treated as a midsummer cast-off Goonies rip-off. However, upon watching it a few years ago, there's a lot of clever gags and a really good story in there. Surprisingly dark at times and pretty funny. Fun fact, I attended college with Andre Gower, who played our lead Sean, for two years, and every single professor thought that it would be an absolute hoot to play the Monster Squad in our classes, when they didn't feel like teaching us anything. It got old really fast. Firstly, thank you for your comment, Andy. As always, you are literally the perennial commenter of Verbal Diorama. It would obviously be really nice if you had a contact for Andre Gower that I could have used to, you know, I don't know, maybe set up a little call or something with him for this episode. So I wish you'd told me that. I mean, I don't know whether you still 
have uh, contact with him. I actually, to be fair, you didn't say whether he was a friend. You just said you attended college with him. But I can imagine that watching the Monster Squad on repeat for classes was awful. I would not like to do that at all. Anyway, thank you, Andy, for your comments. Now, Geek Salad, I do like to give a little plug for patrons who comment. So... Geek Salad, they are literally a one-stop podcasting shop. They are a veritable salad bowl of geek news. They do reviews, trivia, a generous helping of dressing because we know they don't record in the nude. Or, well, we assume they don't. Basically, anything to do with movies, music, TV, games, consoles, literally everything they cover on Geek Salad. Uh, I'm actually going to be going back onto Geek Salad in the summer. So I... Went on to Geek Salad last summer, and I'm really looking forward to going back on their podcast again. Following on from Geek Salad, we also have another patron comment. This one comes from Derek from The Midnight Myth, and he says, This movie served as a gateway for all the classic monsters and helped usher me into my pre-teen goth self. I have no idea if it holds up, but my nostalgia for it is very deep. As I said, Derek is one of the hosts of the incredible podcast, The Midnight Myth. He hosts that podcast with his amazing wife, Laurel, and also sweet baby Arthur sometimes makes an appearance as well. You can hear him cooing in the background. It's so cute. Uh, I know they don't <laughs> I know they don't mean for him to be on the podcast because he is literally five months old, um, but it's incredibly cute. But they really are the most amazing podcast you should be listening to. They cover mythology, philosophy and history and, and basically how those topics kind of shape and weave into the stories that we all know and love. As I said, it's a fabulous podcast. Make sure that you subscribe or follow or whatever the terminology is nowadays and get listening to The Midnight Myth because they are fantastic and I guarantee you will become a huge fan. Um, links in the show notes for both Geek Salad and The Midnight Myth. Right, let's move over to Twitter and we'll start with uh, at Discuss Metal who says, Don't be a chicken, shh, M, good choice. I'm obviously not going to say that because this is a clean language podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I can't unfortunately say the S word. Uh, however, it is a quote from the movie. <laughs> well, despite it being a quote from the movie, I still can't say it. But um, yeah, I, I definitely am not that um, because I've now covered the Monster Squad. Moving on, we have at underscore oral MFC who said... Watching with the knowledge that Ryan Lambert, who plays Rudy, believes that Rudy did kill his dad, adds a harrowing dimension to the dark reprisal of Only One Way to Kill a Werewolf, after watching a monster turn back into a man upon dying. I did not know this. This is the first that I've heard of this. And that is quite disturbing. We have at Ian Madrell, who said... Going to be honest, I rented this as a kid and really didn't like it. I seem to remember it didn't make a lot of sense and filmed in a sort of darkish style. I tried it again recently and still didn't like it. Which is fair enough, absolutely fine. You like what you like and you don't like what you don't like. We have your next favourite movie podcast at YNF Movie Pod who said, Love this as a kid. I used to think Rudy was so damn cool. Still love it now. I have three shirts of this movie. Great gateway horror for younger ones. And finally, we have the Kids What Are We Watching Tonight podcast at Kids Watching, who says, Watched it with Neve about a month ago. She thought it was good, but slightly aged. 
Dracula's costume looks like a pre-packaged Dracula Halloween costume from Asda though. I remember thinking this was the coolest thing. I wanted to be the cool leather jacket guy fighting werewolves and vampires. I'd watched a heap of Hammer Horror by my teens, so this had everything I loved. Kids want Harry Potter, sparkly vampires and America's ass nowadays. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to deny the America's ass because everyone was a bit of Chris Evans. So let's move over to Instagram. We have one comment on Instagram from at SP underscore film viewers who said, First learned about this movie from the fact that there's a quote that Dracula says, which is sampled in a song by the metal band The Black Dahlia Murder. Uh, which again is a fact I did not know. Uh, so thanks for letting me know that fact. Uh, I didn't even know there was a metal band called The Black Dahlia Murder. Anyway, <laughs> no thoughts on Facebook this time round. Uh, but as always, a massive thanks to everyone who took the time to give their thoughts on The Monster Squad. The Monster Squad is such an emotional roller coaster. Much remains unexplained, such as why did Frankenstein's monster choose to not follow the orders of his master and befriend the children? What happened to that third vampire bride in the street that Rudy didn't kill? And was Van Helsing just waiting by the vortex on the other side to grab Dracula for 100 years? Regardless, this is such a fun movie. I'd go as far to say it's fang-tastic. Uh, yeah, I said it. Anyway, I just love the creature work in this movie. It's so top-notch. The pacing is so wonderfully brisk. But the emotional beats still hit really hard. When Phoebe begs Frankenstein's monster not to leave, I I genuinely cry every time. And when she throws him scraps, it's just so lovely. I think that's when you know that a movie is kind of with you, is when you can really kind of feel the emotion every single time you watch it. And I think one of the great things about The Monster Squad really is that it is an accessible movie. You can show pretty young kids this movie, as well as showing adults for the first time. Because adults watching this movie, they're also they're always going to enjoy reliving that period of their youth. You know, when your weirdness was embraced by your friendship groups. And obviously, if you are a bit of a cinephile, it does harken back to that wonderful time when CGI monsters weren't a thing and everything was real and everything was on screen. And it just fully embraces this really camp charm that it has. And it's really well written and it's really funny. It proves that stories about these monsters do endure. This proves it. The Mummy 1999 obviously proves it. Now, Universal, this is a message for Universal. Look at what you have. Do something great with these monsters. They deserve it. We deserve it. But if you are going to do something with these monsters, please get a practical effects team involved. Stan Winston Studio, Amalgamated Dynamics. Just think of the fun that we could have as an audience with a brand new set of practical universal monsters. I mean, I am just salivating thinking about it. Probably never going to happen. <laughs> this is my wishful thinking. But you know what? Until that day happens, if it ever happens, we'll always have the Monster Squad. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on The Monster Squad. If you did enjoy this episode, you can help Verbal Diorama grow and be noticed by others by leaving a rating or review wherever you found this wherever you found this episode. You could retweet or like posts on social media. That always helps a lot. Or you could just simply tell a friend or family member about this episode and about this podcast, especially if they are big fans of The Monster Squad. 
And if you did like this episode specifically on the Monster Squad, you might also like one of the following episodes that I've already covered. Episode 13, The Mummy. Of course I'm going to recommend The Mummy. It is the greatest movie ever made. And yes, it is very CG heavy. And it does kind of go back to the verbal diorama mantra of practical effects are always better than CG. Yes, they absolutely are. But The Mummy is such a great fun movie it's a great adventure movie it's a great comedy it's a great romance and it's a great horror i'm also going to recommend episode 52 which is the nice guys because that is a shane black movie shane black is an incredibly talented writer and a director and the nice guys is one of his underrated gems one of his many underrated gems actually episode 74 gremlins because as I said earlier, if you love this movie, then I think you will also really enjoy Gremlins. But again, it's the great practical effects. It's comedy horror. It leans more towards the horror than the comedy. Very similar to the Monster Squad, actually. But yeah, who doesn't like Gremlins? And finally, another Christmas movie, actually, because Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Another Christmas movie, episode 88, The Long Kiss Goodnight, which is another Shane Black written movie and genuinely one of the best action movies of the 90s by far, directed by Rennie Harlan. Starring Gina Davis, Samuel L. Jackson. Such an underrated classic. If you've not seen The Long Kiss Goodnight and you like things like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, mentioning Lethal Weapon, you will love The Long Kiss Goodnight because it is fantastic. Obviously, as always, give me feedback. Let me know if you think I got those recommendations right or not. So the next episode is an epic team-up where a bunch of heroes get together despite their differences to defeat an evil horde, which actually is what I said last episode to describe the Monster Squad. So who else could I be talking about? Now it's no surprise to anyone who is a regular listener to Verbal Diorama that I'm a big fan of Marvel. And to me, when it came to the run-up to episode 100, because let's be honest, if you can do maths, which I assume most of you can, it will probably give you a very good idea of what episodes 98, 99 and 100 actually are. I'm a big fan of the MCU, I'm a big fan of Marvel Studios in general. I am a complete Marvel girl. It made complete sense to me if I was going to do a quadrilogy of episodes that I was going to basically get the big guns out. and. I've covered Marvel movies on this podcast, I've covered Captain Marvel, I've covered Black Panther, I've covered the Captain America trilogy, and I've always wanted to cover the Avengers. And it just feels like the right time to do that. Because what else am I going to cover for episode 100? if? not a complete build-up to Avengers Endgame, which is literally the second biggest movie in the world ever. But not only that, just to kind of look at what Marvel have done to actually get to that point. No one else has managed to do what they did. And so I kind of figure, well, you know, 100 episodes. I don't know if I'm ever gonna reach 200 episodes. I hope I will reach 200. But reaching 100 is such a massive feat for me and I just felt, well, you know, if I'm going to do it, then I'm going to do it in the biggest way that I possibly can do it. And so episode 97 is going to be on the Avengers. So basically, yeah, it's going to be the Avengers quadrilogy. 
Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. And that is episodes 97 to 100. I'm really excited, actually. It's going to be huge. It's going to be a huge thing for this podcast to go into the Avengers quadrilogy. But I'm excited. I'm really excited. So, yeah, next week, the Avengers. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, it's Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can support the show on Patreon if you want to. You're under no obligation to do so. But if you do want to, you can sign up at patreon.com slash verbal diorama. You can see all of the tiers there. You can see all of the perks that you get. And as always, just a huge, huge thank you to the patrons of Verbal Diorama. They are Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Matt, Scott, Mark, and Brendan. I'm not going to call you the Monster Squad. You are a squad of people. I mean, I don't know if you fight monsters, but I feel like calling you guys the Monster Squad kind of feels like I'm calling you monsters. (laughs) Uh, You are a team of people who band together to help fight the forces of Verbal Diorama not having money to renew things. (laughs) You're awesome, basically. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I also do have a merch store, teespring.com slash stores slash verbal diorama if you want merch and stuff. I also have actually stickers and fridge magnets. All patrons are getting a sticker and a fridge magnet. I'm also going to be giving some away soon. Some more information on that over on social media. If you do want to get in touch with me, it's verbaldiorama at gmail.com or over at verbaldiorama.com. Or you can pop over to Film Stories. You can check out a brand new issue of the magazine coming soon. You can check out bits and pieces that I write for Film Stories online. And just basically support independent publishing. And finally, Wolfman's Got Nards. There I said it. Okay, I know that's all you came here for. I've said it now. (laughs) Wolfman's Got Nards. Bye. Movie should know.